0: Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to the Nefesh podcast. This is episode 19 and excited to have you with us for a special episode, special in that it is Thanksgiving this week. And for those of you in the United States, you know what that means. Thanksgiving, a day of, well, supposed to be thanks uh, established over 160 years ago by uh, President Abraham Lincoln, a day of thanks and commemoration for all that that um, really that we have and have to be thankful for. Um, it has turned into a very gluttonous and uh, uh, shopping material oriented uh, holiday and um uh, Black Friday comes after Thanksgiving. I don't know why they call it black. Actually, I don't know what that's that's supposed to mean. Black Friday, but um, the, essentially, when when people are out there sometimes sleeping overnights in uh, uh, overnight in their their sleeping bags and tents as they line up outside of stores, stores do a major sale on Friday. Good Friday, uh, Black Friday rather. Uh, some people think it's Good Friday. And, uh, you know, if, and if you may be one of those ones, I've never done it personally, uh, just even thinking about it gives me a lot of anxiety. Um, but some of you are pros at it. You know, you get in there with your, your knee pads, your helmets on, you're, you're ready to, to, to tussle for, um, for all of those really great deals that happen on Black Friday um, and really, I think for those of us in the United States, Thanksgiving is almost the start of, you know, the holiday season. So we go from Thanksgiving into really quickly Advent and uh, Christmas, and then of course New Year's for us. And so it's a um, it it's it's a time of celebration and slowing down, and and really, I think a a, a desire to spend time with family, a desire to slow down, a desire to eat. Yeah, for sure. Maybe a desire to get, to get good deals, but, um, it's, it's a great opportunity for us to slow down and for us to reflect upon the very things that, that we do have and the things for which we can be thankful. And I think, in thinking about this Thanksgiving, in thinking about this time of the year, reflecting upon the ability to be thankful and the ability to find ways of of having a fresh perspective on life and understanding that impact upon our soul and our spiritual formation. Regardless of where we are at, what we have experienced, where, what we may be struggling through, the spiritual formation of our soul involves the ups as well as the downs, the challenges as well as the, the good times. And we have, you may have heard it said, and there is truth to this the reality that we grow the most we are stretched and the results of that stretching and challenging we grow the most in difficult times helps us to understand that the spiritual formation process involves all aspects of our lives all all moments of change all moments of good and bad believing that if we will allow god he wants to be part of all of those moments changing and transforming and challenging us to grow beyond where we are. And he takes the good and the bad in that process of spiritual transformation and reflecting upon the need to, in even difficult times, To have a perspective that will not only help to see us through, but reflects a trust in the spiritual formation that is going on in our lives is important and yet it is so challenging. When I got my history degree, I purposely focused on two areas. The track that I was on allowed me to focus on two geographic areas, and that's what I wanted to do. I didn't want to write a thesis paper; I'd already done that, you know, for other degrees. And I just I wanted to get as much information and study and research on specifically the Middle East and Islam, and then Europe and specifically Jewish history, so Islamic history and Jewish history. And so I did two different, what they call comprehensive exams and spent a semester on each, a semester focusing on Islamic history. And then you take an exam at the end of the semester where uh, the professor gives you a set of questions and you have to write a 20 to 30 page response. Uh, It's like a paper, but it's it's an exam that you do in a weekend. They give it to you on a Friday morning and by Sunday night, you turn that thing in and and you've responded to these questions based upon your research and your reading and you write this whole, you know, paper. So I did it for the Islamic history and then in my last semester I did it on Jewish history from 1890 to 1945. I've always been drawn to the Holocaust and the history of the Jewish people. Uh, the I think the tragedy of the the event, I think the the history of anti-Semitism and the struggle that the Jewish people have experienced. But, but the trauma, the just overwhelming, the overwhelming tragedy of the amount of lives lost and the brutality of it has been such something that's been so close to my heart for a long time. And it was such a privilege to spend that time reading about their story and I spent a lot of time reading uh, primary sources so basically these autobiographies of survivors and of course there are well-known writers on the Holocaust and even Anne Frank who didn't survive but her diary remains and it is a beautiful story of a teenage girl going through the Holocaust in hiding and then eventually she is taken to a concentration camp and she doesn't survive. But to read these stories and in particular those of who survived was so meaningful, so powerful, and yet so incredibly sad and tragic. And I, I remember at the end of that weekend. And so the whole semester I'm gearing up for it, preparing for it, reading and researching and, and, um, at the end of the weekend and I'm hammering out this 20 to 30 page paper. And at the end of the weekend, I remember feeling so exhausted. The reliving and not, well, not for me reliving, but hearing and, and, and experiencing vicariously through these stories, the tragedy was just so overwhelming and emotional and, the hearing the stories of heroism, but also of just incredible, again, sadness. The lives of of children and elderly people who um, there are not a lot of stories on because they were most likely the ones to be killed first. Babies, infants, toddlers in t- being taken to concentration camps. They were often just routed right away, immediately into. Uh, gas chambers or or other places where they were killed because they had no value. Um, They were, you know, all Jews were eventually going to be exterminated under Hitler anyway, but they particularly had no value because they weren't able to work and contribute. And so we have very few stories of those. Uh, Children who survived the Holocaust um, would have been older in the concentration camps or They would have been in hiding, or they would have been. uh, Some were smuggled out and found freedom. Some were, again, hidden by others. Um, But very few would have made it because they would have been killed right away. Hearing those stories, women as well um, were were less likely uh, to survive. Men essentially were the ones greatest to survive, but women women did if they were able to withstand the work and the pressures. The elderly rare, rarely made it. I don't know the statistics, but wouldn't have, have made it. And so reading these stories, hearing these stories, and, and especially those stories of, of the survivors and how they were able to survive, and sometimes it feels like just, just luck that they weren't one of the ones who were shot in line and, and, um, or one, a, a, a French... Jew um, who just just went in when nobody's looking, went from one line to the other, he just switched into a, a different line, even though he had been put in a separate line, he switched and went into a different line, and that saved his life, because the line he had been assigned to were, were killed almost immediately. Sometimes it feels like luck, but there is a deeper message and, and of one person in particular, uh, of a uh, of an Austrian Jew, Victor Frankel, who survived the Holocaust, he was a psychiatrist, and his wife and his i believe it was his baby baby daughter were killed. they did not survive the Holocaust. And he didn't know that, of course, until after he was, he was out, uh, the war was over, and he was liberated. But he lost his wife and his daughter in, uh, in the Holocaust. This Austrian psychiatrist who, as a result of the Holocaust and his experience there, he developed a, a psychotherapeutic training um, that was uh, known, became known as logo therapy. And as a result of the experience and probably out of his own need uh, to survive, developed this therapy that went on, he went on to utilize and others still utilize today. And really the whole focus of that therapy is to help people reorient their understanding, reorient their perspective toward meaning and toward the meaning in their lives. He said this, he said that, he said, woe to him who saw no more sense in his life, no aim, no purpose, and therefore no point in carrying on. He was soon lost. That really, those who survived were not necessarily the strongest the um, the ones who looked like they were the fittest or youngest, the ones who um, the ones who you think, okay, they look like they're in good shape they 're going to make it that those weren't the ones necessarily who survived. It was those who were able to hold on tenaciously to life. Those who were able to reorient their daily existence toward finding meaning and value in their life and in particular, the future. Now, there have been studies for many, many years about how our thinking affects and we've talked about it on this podcast, how our thinking affects Our um, our actions, our beliefs are are really important, and and in saying that, it's important that we differentiate between false beliefs and denial, and beliefs that have, in which there is truth or in which there is um, a, a sense of reality anchored to them. So it's one thing to be in denial and say, I'm not really suffering this. I'm not really uh, in a concentration camp. Everything is fine. Everything is good. Um, and maybe for that might actually help you survive for a bit. But there's a point, there's a reckoning in which denial will only last for so long. And and again, that's another part that, that psychologists and therapists and counselors will will relay that at some point, Those coping mechanisms that we need in moments of survival, children especially, or traumatic experiences, we learn these various coping mechanisms of avoidance, denial, and even forgetting in order to be able to survive. The trauma is so great that in order to survive, we've got to, again, deny maybe that it's happening or avoid dealing with it or thinking about it or just flat out our minds just even forget. We don't attempt to do it it just forgets and that will work for a time and there is a time and a place for that but over over time those coping mechanisms will will not last because they were only meant to be for a time they don't actually help us deal with reality on an ongoing basis they only help us in that moment and so the- be- believing believing in a future or having a hope is different than being in a state of denial. No, everything was not good. everything was awful all the time. Now you hear beautiful stories, especially um, especially of the Jewish people in the Holocaust, where there were moments where they would even begin to sing. Some, some, uh, some of their religious songs or they would engage in certain acts of, of religious worship. Not always were they allowed and sometimes they had to do it in secret, and, but they would find ways to practice Sabbath or, or, to, um, or to repeat scripture or to sing together um, or encourage one another. Um, that there were moments of community and and moments of sacrifice that are beautiful when you read and when you hear about um, these acts of humanity in very inhumane places. But it was bad from start to finish. They... No food, starving to death, sleeping on plywood, not enough warmth. It was freezing. Their clothes were falling apart and in tatters. Their shoes were not the right sizes. They were working from morning till night and they were uh, beaten when they couldn't function and couldn't work. It was bad all the time. Going to the infirmary was essentially a place to to die in some situations or if they thought they could maybe help you they might fix you up so that you could go to work again but it was bad all the time all day and I can't imagine being in that type of a situation where there's no there's life all around is bleak and there is no real sense of hope other than what could be so you could survive potentially by being in denial. I'm not really here. This is not reality. I'll wake up soon. You, you could possibly, and maybe there were some who did that. But you're surrounded and, and, and it is in your face from morning till night, even, even in your dreams, that the dreams and the terror of the dreams... As have been said by some, were better than the reality of being awake, and um, I, I believe one Holocaust survival. I think it was survivor um, uh, Ellie Weisel who said that you know if if a if a uh, an inmate there in the concentration camp is having a bad dream, don't wake him up, but because the reality of of being awake is worse than the than the nightmares you're experiencing. And yet, even in those situations, hope, meaning, and finding something beyond what, is, what was present in that moment is what got some people through. A belief that though there is no, no empirical evidence that things will change, a hope and a belief that things can. What would happen if I do get out of here? What will I do with my life if I am able to be released? Or when I am released? How does my life have meaning now? And especially in the concentration camps, that was w- one of the things that right away the Nazis stripped from all prisoners, uh, whether they were Jewish or um, uh, prisoners of war or whatever it might be. Um, if you were in those concentration camps for for a variety of reasons, the majority were Jewish, but you could be in there for, um, for help, trying to help the Jews, for trying to um, if you were, you know, you just, if you were caught on the wrong side of some of them, you could be put in there. Um, and one of the things that they did immediately was to strip, was to try and strip each person of their humanity, of their dignity, stripping them naked, um, causing them to, um, uh, putting numbers on their, tattooing numbers on their arms. And, and so in one fell swoop, your name no longer mattered. You were a number, um, it's shaving your head. there obviously nothing to take care of, but you almost your whole identity, um, whether you are male or female, just becomes both exposed and taken away at the same time, and in a place where there's where there's no sense of digni- dignity, no privacy, no sense of humanity to Struggle to hold on to that identity, to struggle to hold on to that sense of humanity, and to struggle to hold on to some type of hope was crucial. Frankl says this, he said, what was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude toward life. We had to learn ourselves, and furthermore, we had to teach despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life, but rather what life expected from us. That a frame, a frame of mind, a change of attitude, a a digging deep to say... I am going to find meaning and hope in something beyond. And, and Frankel um, utilized the imagination in this logotherapy um, to help create this hope. And again, in a positive way, we're, we're not talking about um, false hope or um, uh, hope that is that is not also connected to reality. But, but believing that you could, imagining what would and could your life look like, what if you made it out, what will you do then? Do you believe, do you desire to live? And, and for a lot of Holocaust survivals, that's what it came down to. They, they succumbed to the, the pain and the death and the sadness and the tragedy. And I don't fault them in any way. I the, those who were able to survive were able to dig so deep and hold on in such a persevering way because the situations and circumstances were awful but they had to find something they had to create something in their imagination they had to shift their attitude around towards saying my life has meaning, my life has value, and I want to live. I want to survive this. There were some, many who got to a point where they just were not able mentally and emotionally to keep going. I believe it's, it's uh, Primo Levi, who is another Holocaust survivor I believe it was he who said a similar thing that it it really did come to a mental uh, a mental surrender that though it, it and again no faulting on on those who were killed and not in any way to say that they weren't strong or or couldn't you know couldn't hack it or anything like that but it and maybe they didn't even have time I mean there are so many things that go into it um, but one of the things, one of the qualities that these first-hand observers experienced and uh, saw and really experienced in themselves was that there was something deeper that said, I must and I will survive. That I can survive. That if I do survive... How will my life have meaning beyond this and it Frankel appears to have and this was true of others, even rabbis who are in in those um, in those camps that they were able to help others and 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 give solace and comfort at times i mean it was difficult to even do that but at times to help others those who were despairing to say you can do it we can do it there is life there is meaning there is there is something beyond this victor frankl wrote this book the title is a man's search for meaning and in this book that is where he describes his experiences, his biographical account of of his journey in the camp, and then his, his discussion of this logotherapy afterwards and, and how much it, uh, what he learned and what he was able to implement and how it has affected lives beyond that. And it all comes down to finding and holding on to that deeper meaning. To to allowing there to be this deeper, deeper sense of value and worth and clinging to that. There is a study that psychologists have done, and I think I've talked about it before, about uh, willpower and how we run out of willpower as, as humans that it is really an energy, um, and we have a certain amount of willpower. But after a while, especially if we're being tested, whether it's to lose weight, to, to keep ourselves from some type of addiction or temptation, that we run out of that willpower. And if you've ever tried to stop doing something or start doing something and failed at it, you will know that there comes to a point maybe at the end of the day you're you're you've done so good throughout the day of not doing or doing something but at the very end of the day you're you're you've been you You may, you've resisted, you've resisted, you've resisted, you've resisted, and maybe you even feel good about it. But then something comes at the very end of that day, that chocolate chip cookie is placed right in front of you. And it's like, I have no more willpower to resist. I have to eat this cookie. I just cannot. I have resisted. I have been so good, and it's not even so much a thinking where okay, I deserve this. It's more about I just can't resist anymore. And so, what what um, what authors and, and psychologists um, uh, have have encouraged? Um, in fact, uh, authors of a book called The Power of Full Engagement, a really good book, um, they've encouraged. Not resting on the willpower, but resting on the value underneath what it is you're trying to do and not do. Because willpower runs out. And if you rest upon, I'm just not going to do it, or I'm going to do it, I'm going to not eat that cookie, I'm not going to eat that sweet, I'm not going to do that. You may last a day. You may last two days, five days, a week, a couple weeks. You may even lose the weight that you wanted to, to, to lose, or you may get healthy. But if there's not an underlying value that is deeply anchored within you, you will not be able to continue to resist that with which you struggle. That the value that is there, for example, if you want to get healthy because you want to be around for your kids and your family and others, that value is going to anchor you. But if the desire is just to get healthy so that you can look good or feel better, well, that's good. But when you start to feel better, you may go back to old habits unless there's a value to anchor you. We think in terms of being in the most awful of places in these concentration camps. There had to be something deeper than simply, I, I you know, I'm not going to let all of this bother me. There had to be a value that was deeply rooted. The will to survive. The will to say, I want to live. Has to, had to have been one of the values that anchored these people and helped them to survive under extreme and awful circumstances. When we think about our lives right now, post pandemic, still struggling with COVID, but Uh, around the world, but not locked down anymore. Both the US and the world seems to be heading into, we're dealing with inflation, maybe potentially heading into a recession. Things are not well. Mass shootings continue to take place all over the United States. Still challenges with Ukraine and Russia. Wars in Ethiopia and other parts of the world. For what can we be thankful? In the midst of difficult situations, hostile situations loss of income, loss of family, loss of, loss of agency, health. For what can we be thankful? And here is that, that underlying value that can, can anchor us. That underlying value is That God has promised that, number one, He will never leave us or forsake us. That even in those darkest moments, He is right there with us. He has promised, number two, that all things work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. That even in the midst of darkest moments and difficult times, he has promised to work that out for our good. For what can we be thankful? The third reality is that this life Is not all there is. That we are promised life everlasting. And I do believe, as do some scholars, that when when Jesus was talking about that eternal life and and John, the book of John really emphasizes this in John chapter 3 and John chapter 10, where he says, you know, that I've come, that, that, that they might have life and have it to the full. And he talks about having eternal life that, that they will, um, uh, in John 3:16. that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life, that that life begins now. And Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth and the life. And that everlasting life starts now, but that this life in its current state is not all there is and that we are promised life eternally with him. If we can see all things that surround us, the good, the bad, and the ugly as opportunities for his work and growth. If we can see that the challenges that we are currently facing are building in us that hope, are building in us that character, that strength, that spiritual growth that is preparing us for life with him and even life here now. If we can see that we are never alone and walking through those valleys, those challenges with him, we can, as Paul tells us in First Thessalonians 5, to give thanks always. That in everything we can give thanks. One of the phrases my dad used to say all the time, even in, especially, especially when something went wrong, He would say, praise the Lord anyhow, and it was his way of saying, well, you know, this is not certainly what I wanted, but praise God anyhow. It was his way of of acknowledging God in that circumstance, and that God is still God. It it brings us even into a, um, I think, a closer understanding of what Job said in in the first couple of chapters, when everything is being taken away, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. For what can we be thankful that God is always with with us, as Hebrews 13 says? That He promises to work all things out for our good, as Romans 8 says. And that this life is not all there is, and He has promised us a life forever with Him. In John chapter 3 and 10 and 14. That is... That is how we trust. That is how we give thanks. That is how we find deeper meaning in the midst of life's lows and highs. If we can find deeper meaning and that anchored value in our relationship with Christ in the low times, it prepares us to appreciate and stay rooted even in the high times because it's easy in the good times forget our values, to forget why we are here. It's easy to get lost in the goods, the good part of life, the Black Friday deals, the wonderful Thanksgiving meals, the Christmas presents, and everything else. It's easy to get lost in those highs, but if we have anchored ourselves in the, those valleys, in those low times, and the, the anchoring is in our relationship with Christ then in those moments of good and plenty and blessing in those high times we will not wander off we will have a greater appreciation and understanding for what we have and are then able to share that with others well thanks for listening for this episode episode 19 of the Nefesh podcast I hope that you are enjoying our journey together as we examine the soul and our spiritual formation and what that looks like. And I'm excited that you're on this journey with me, with us, and I would love to hear from you. Please reach out, uh, the Nefesh podcast at gmail.com. The nefeshpodcast at gmail.com would love to respond and answer back and dialogue with you, pray with you, share some thoughts with you. Have a wonderful holiday uh, season and weekend, and we will talk to you next time.